Welcome to episode 161 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, we're back this week. We're uh, wrapping up soon with Static Shock here. Uh, a couple of mediocre episodes with some big moments in them. He doesn't <laughs> even, I really like these episodes. Uh, and not, not in like the, the normal jokey like these episodes. But I, I, I genuinely enjoy these episodes. I, I have thoughts. Uh, I definitely have thoughts. Um, but before we get to that, uh, some news to catch up on since we, we took last week off. Um, let's start out with some DC-related stuff, since technically that would be the purview of the podcast. And almost physically directs or connects to us. Yes, exactly. This one actually connects to us. So uh, as people may have seen, uh, within the last couple of weeks, there was a, a basically a massive sweep of layoffs at Warner Brothers, uh, specifically involving like dc and a lot of their online stuff basically dc universe uh Mm -hmm. pretty much foremost um you know that in combination with uh, an interview with jim lee recently who's still the chief creative officer there who said that all of the original dc universe content is moving its way over to hbo max um basically means that as we've been saying like this thing is going to die imminently i don't know when um i'm doing a mad scramble to get caught up on various like tv shows and comics content you messaged me last week saying you just (laughs) did the long haul work of organizing with the entire grant morrison run yes uh into chronological order i will i will plug that next week and i'm done i've made it through almost all of it i'm on to to batman incorporated right now i have a lot of I read that no, one. I actually read, read that, that one. one. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I mean, it's it's fine so far. I just got started with it. I have a lot of thoughts about Grant Morrison as a writer. I have even more thoughts about just the absolute insanity that is trying to read comics and crossover and stuff like that. But that will probably be a lengthy, lengthy rant. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that for next week, and that'll be part of my like actual plugs is the the Grant Morrison run, and I will put out. For everyone else's benefit, the definitive list that I come up with of how to read those comics. But I have to, like, test that my reading method works as I'm reading them. And it, so far, it's been pretty solid. I feel like you just you, you set up, like, a Zoom call style screen that just, like, you every, every, like, person on the call has a different page open. And you're like, okay, I'm reading the 2006 Batman run. And then like, oh, he disappeared. It's time to read Blackest Night for a couple of, for a couple issues. And then the third screen is, what's the what's the one that I love that everyone hates, where Batman is traveling through time? Oh, the Return of Bruce Wayne. Yes, the Return of Bruce Wayne. Yeah, uh, it's terrible. It's so much fun though. It's pirate it's so Batman dumb. with it's, cowboy but Batman it's, and but caveman it's not. Batman. Okay, I I will get into it next week. I'll get into it next week. <laughs> once i'm done so 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 many thoughts it would only drag out the episode for me to get into them now we have a lot to talk about in terms of news but i mean look dc universe it's it's on its way out and it's also just sad because you know a bunch of people lost their jobs Mm -hmm. you know um people in the same entertainment space that we're in and also we've both been big advocates for dc universe as a platform up to this point i mean it was a unique experiment i think we knew when it came out that it was not going to last forever. Um, but, you know, it's done a lot of things really well up to this point. It was a, a really unique opportunity to do a dedicated fan space for all the stuff that we love. And the fact that it's going away is it's sad to see. So. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they'll make any announcements about it at uh, Fandom coming next weekend. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing is that there's obviously been a, a lack of broader DC news, um, probably anticipation of that. I'm, I'm sure it was a strategic move on their part to announce a bunch of bad news, like, oh, we're going to do a shitload of layoffs and DC Universe is absolutely going to die. Um, but don't worry, in two weeks, we're going to have a big event and everyone's going to be super, super excited about HBO it. HBO DC, coming to you soon. <laughs> oh god but no it, it is really really unfortunate and so you know, obviously our you know we're, we're thinking about all those folks that lost their jobs because it just it sucks it's for all the other things they're going right now to then also lose your job too and and you know especially people who are really passionate about what they do over at dc universe it uh it's just shitty yeah so, uh, but um you know on the lines of uh <laughs> dc and one of those biggest competitors disney <laughs> nailed it they they made a couple very interesting announcements, and um, because we took last week off, we haven't had a chance to, to talk about it, really. Um, but I'd say the biggest thing they announced recently was that Mulan, the, the long-delayed film due to the COVID lockdown, is officially going to be become a... Uh, a Disney Plus premiere exclusive. Yes, thank you. A, yeah, a Disney Plus premiere. Love that they found a way to throw that word in there, exclusive. Yep. Which basically means that uh, if you pay thirty bucks, you get access to Mulan forever. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite a rental; it's basically just they've incorporated a paywall behind an existing streaming platform. Which I feel like this is precedent breaking in many ways. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first um, subscription based platform that is now offering premium paywall content right um yeah i mean i you you could kind of throw in amazon prime in in those Uh, movies but that's i kind of don't because amazon also has they had an existing like rental and purchase platform in place yeah you, you don't need prime to to buy those movies yeah the, like for me i feel like this is the first time that a a streaming platform so you want to talk about like a hulu a a netflix a disney plus something that you basically just go okay i pay a certain amount a month and i get access to all their content this is the first of them to then go well yes but right I, don't, I mean, what what are your thoughts about all this? This this is definitely uh, your your topic, your your, your <laughs> I, favorite it, topic of conversation. So. It is movie theaters and Disney. Um, I I I think a lot of people are upset with the price point because thirty dollars is steeper than most movies. Yeah, I, I mean, it's you know about what another fifty percent on top of the most expensive rentals right now. Yeah, and and you know, being in LA, we do have the most expensive movie theater. So this yeah. is a thirty dollar ticket is you know one and a half LA movie tickets. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so like from that perspective, I've been telling people like the thirty dollars seems fair because you know it's even for other people, it's it's multiple movie tickets. Yeah, I, uh, I think even for for most places, I think a movie ticket's probably what between ten fifteen bucks outside of L.A. Right? Yeah, you know, uh, in Kansas, I, I remember tickets being like ten normal and then twelve for like the IMAX 3D experience. Okay, yeah. So if you think about it, you know, this is a family movie, so it, you're probably going to be having two plus people going and see this as you know as a group. It it kind of balances out 
Yeah, and and we don't know the. We also don't know the level of security of like if. <laughs> I mean, just I mean, it's the same with Amazon Prime. Like I announcing this on air seems wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, like on Prime, I have you know two friends in in San Fran and New York who we do movie nights together, and so one of us will buy a movie on my account, and then we all just watch it together. Yeah. Uh, which seems fine, and then I feel like. I don't know how Disney will be able to tell if like if I buy it on my under my name on my Disney Plus account but then like you know my my niece and nephew in Colorado who have their own page on my account also just sign into mine I I imagine it'll just be connected with the the overall account not with the um the, the users on the account yeah, yeah. cuz I, I don't think there'd be a way to, for them to like differentiate that really yeah, so in that sense, I also laugh at my family who are like, you know, majority doctors mooching off me <laughs> for the cheapest streaming service. Of, of course, yeah. But I mean, so, like, my, I, I think this is all very interesting yeah. that they decided to do this. I mean, I, I think it was kind of inevitable. Um, I, I can understand why they wouldn't want to just put this on disney plus that right, feels yeah, this like is a just, billion dollar film yeah it's just like just scuttling the film so and, and i think i read today that it's like they would need to basically sell like you know 29 million units to approximate like their one billion dollar box office but the thing is that might be a little bit high but there's a couple things to factor in one is uh disney's already reached their five-year subscriber goal and just eight months after launching they've already hit 60 million subscribers mm-hmm which is insane. Um, also, not too surprising. So, look, even if you get ten percent of that, even if you get six million, that's still a lot, right? That's what. So, six, if I could do math at the top of my head, this would be a lot faster. Six million times thirty. Okay, so that's like okay, what? One hundred eighty million just from that alone. It'll probably be more than ten percent. But also, right now, some theatrical markets are still open. Are already yeah, most, opening. Most international markets are open, and so I, I yeah, think that's and, why they had to do this quick digital push. Yeah, because let's be honest, this movie is made for China, not for the United States. Yeah, and I think most Chinese theaters are open again, or at least they are in the process of reopening at this point. I, I believe their biggest chain is open. Okay, so, so they're so, their AMC. Yeah, and Disney is desperate for money right now. As is pretty much everybody. Um, but I think this makes a lot of sense for them to do with this. But also, let's be honest, this isn't even about Mulan. This is about Black Widow. Oh, you think so? I I genuinely think this is a test bed. They're testing to see how this works. They're testing to see because I would have flipped it if that's the if if that's your hypothesis. I would have put Black Widow first as the test for Mulan. Mm, no, 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 no. Because I think. There are far greater implications. Like Mulan's a one-off. At the end of the day, Mulan's a one-off. Like they need to make money, but it's not like they're hinging a whole franchise, their biggest franchise, on it. But Black Widow, it like it's precedent breaking. They're doing this with one film. It would be insane if they did this with an MCU film, which you know I I think that's their their biggest money makers. Even if Black Widow is maybe not going to make you know Avengers money, which I doubt it will. You know, it still is critical, right? I mean, it's. The big difference is, 
what happens with Black Widow will probably be setting up stuff on their TV shows that are going to go on Disney+. Plus. It's going to be setting up things that are going to happen in subsequent movies in the line. It's probably going to be setting the framework for what happens in Phase 4. There's, you know, the whole rest of their franchise um, is waiting on the release of Black Widow, even just from a storytelling and a plot perspective. And they can only keep delaying these things so long because they have so many movies stacked up. Mm -hmm. And... The, you know, the pressure's building for everyone to release something in any sort of capacity, but especially something like an MCU film is huge. I genuinely believe that they're testing out to see how Mulan does in terms of the, the response into doing premiere pricing, the actual price of it itself, what the breakdown is between um, people who buy it off of Disney Plus, people who go to see it in the theaters in uh, you know, opening markets or markets that are open. Because if this goes well for them, then I think they may feel more comfortable releasing Black Widow on Disney+. And if you think about it, if they do that, everyone will end up getting it. Yeah, like, the floodgates you know, are open at that point. Yeah, like, the thing is, like, I'm probably not going to get Mulan. You know, I'll probably just, like, wait to watch it with you at some point, because I know you will. <laughs> oh, I'm going to buy it first day, of course. You're, of course you are. But, uh, like, even though you're not even excited about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Nice but I, you know, if they put out Black Widow, like, all of a sudden, anyone who wants to see that movie and wants to see it quickly because they don't want things spoiled for them, people are going to do it. Like, I'll do it. I'll pay 30 bucks to watch Black Widow mm -hmm. on, you know, DC, or on, I keep wanting to say DC Universe, on, on Disney+. Plus. And the thing is, is then I'll have it, presumably, indefinitely, um, on that platform as well. And that's probably where I'll end up watching a lot of stuff going forward anyways. So, I think a good part of the reason they're doing this Mulan is just to see what their possible alternative release strategy could be for Black Widow and for the rest of the MCU. Yeah. And and I think doing it in August is also a smart play because obviously this virus is not going away nope. anytime soon. Uh, and with the huge slate that is prepped for November, December, yeah. I think to your point exactly, like this, this really opens, you know, I, I'm a, I'm definitely expecting like some pack, you know, like special bundles, like a, you know, a Christmas bundle or Thanksgiving yeah. bundle of like, oh, you can get a year of Disney plus plus like uh, plus Black Widow for, you know, $60. Yeah. Like we've um, been doing the oh, God, don't I just realized <laughs> Nintendo has been doing this for a what? couple of years now where um, for Super Smash Brothers, they periodically will add a new character. Usually about mm -hmm. every like four to six months, they'll add a new, a new player to fight with. Um, and instead of buying them individually, you, they have something called a Smash Pass, which is different <laughs> than the Smash Pass in West Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> hey, the Smash Passes are canceled right now in West Hollywood. That so. is true. That is true. No one's getting that punch card. Nope. Um, but basically, if you are, if you just have enough trust in Nintendo and their characters, you can you can pay them forty dollars up front, and just whenever they announce the character, you just already get it. Or you can pay, I think it's like twelve dollars per character, and you get t uh, five characters for forty. Yeah. Or if you buy them individually, it's ten dollars per character. So you basically save ten dollars. Yeah. No. Look, I and mean, I definitely see if if this works out, Disney. 100% doing something similar to that of having like a Marvel premiere pass. It's like you'll get a year's worth of Marvel slated films immediately for $50. Yeah. You know, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like the, the circumstances around COVID and the lockdown did not change 
distribution in the industry, it accelerated changes that were inevitably going to happen. It, yeah. it made those changes necessities. Um, and everything was already switching towards a subscription model. Now it's going to be a subscription model with a paywall. Um, and it's going to just get, uh, you know, further siloed. I mean, you, before we started the call, you, you told me that Disney has another streaming platform they're launching for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was going to bring that up in a second. Yeah. I also, I've also had this conversation with a few people. I expect in the next three years, Disney will put a bid in for Cinemark. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I could see that. Because I was thinking about it being AMC, because obviously all the, the crazy shit going on right now, I, I was expecting like an, a bidding war between Disney and WB over AMC rights. Yeah. But then I realized all these articles saying AMC is the biggest international chain are a fucking lie. <laughs> AMC is nowhere near the biggest international chain. AMC stands for American Movie Center. Well, but isn't that the most American thing ever? Just assume because it's the biggest thing in America, it's the biggest thing in the rest of the world. Yeah, it's not center, uh, Cineplex, American Movie Cineplex. It's not Center. I don't know. Um, cinema, whatever. The only word in that sentence that matters is America. <laughs> is America, yeah. America. Because uh, I, I looked into this and I'm like, they don't have, they have like, maybe like 10 uh, theaters set up outside of America. Cinemark is the biggest American chain internationally. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and so I definitely see Disney putting in a bid for that. Uh, Warner probably putting in a bid for Regal because that's the second mm -hmm. biggest American chain. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the big studios putting in their bids for the other ones. And then I am in, in this future, I'm imagining um, what's the pretentious one? Al uh, draft Alamo Draft House. Oh, yeah. Um they're going to be the ones that are going to come in and sweep up all these one-off theaters and kind of yeah, market probably. this as the premier theater experience or like the genuine theater experience. Yeah. And yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm very sad for the future of the theater. Cause even JPEG, when he was announcing Mulan coming out, he was very specific with his words of like, this is only going to happen once. It's not. Nope. Um, that's absolute bullshit. This is like a, you know, because of unusual circumstances situation, we have to get this movie out for the fans. Nope. And I'm like, you mean the fans being the board of Your directors? bottom line? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think this is the real test grant, especially now that every studio has a streaming platform out. Yeah. Um, they're they're going to want their streaming platform. They're going to want their theater chain. Yeah. This, this is going to... Yeah. I think, like you said, this is going to be the true test of the future. Yeah. Now... Tell me a little bit about this new Disney streaming platform, Star. I literally had not heard about it until you mentioned it five minutes before the call. Yes, I, I am shocked this is not getting any press right now. It was announced two weeks ago. JPEG had his first big public announcement as uh, CEO, president, whatever his title is, as, as Bob Iger's shadow. Uh, and I'm already exhausted from his one announcement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Basically, what's going on is JPEG announced that they're, that Disney is starting a second streaming service that is going to come out in 2021 known as Star. Not to be confused with the pre-existing service known as Stars that has existed for over 26 years. Yep. Uh, what a Disney move <laughs> to just fucking steal that up. Jesus. Uh, but it's basically, the as he said, it's a new feature that is internationally focused 
uh, that will have shows and films from ABC, FX, Freeform, Searchlight, and 20th Century Studios. Um, yeah. It is. So, uh, essentially, everything else that's not specifically targeted towards Disney Plus because it's family-friendly. It's all their, like, more adult content. Yeah. And, I mean, realistically, it's all of their Hulu content. Yeah. Which is- and so, as, as we as we briefly said, this is Disney's way to just shut down Hulu in any way they can. Which... Like, from a shrewd business perspective, I can kind of see why they would do that. I mean, Hulu was built off of licensed content, yeah. right? It's They were one of the first really widely accessible streaming platforms. They had tons of shows. They had, um, you know, new run stuff, too. Like, that's where I watched The Good Place, and, you know, stuff would premiere on cable, and then it would go right up on Hulu. Yeah, it, it was the first rival to Netflix, Exactly. Yeah. And it had the, the benefit of it all being new, whereas Netflix at the time was, you know, only once something had come out on DVD, essentially, is when it went up on Netflix. So, you know, they kind of got started at the gate. But as that sort of licensed content is now shifting towards the siloed streaming platforms, all the studios, the content on Hulu is going to diminish. Um, and I can see why Disney would be like, okay, well, let's just create our own additional platform that's going to have all of like the the not exclusively family funny stuff. It's on Disney Plus, and then eventually just kill Hulu. Yeah, and so. and I think it's it is something that was that kind of like you mentioned before. It was something that was destined to happen, especially with CBS All Access and Peacock. You know, those two kind of, in my opinion, fueled most of Hulu. Like, yeah. Uh, you know that that content was a lot of their backlog. Yeah, and I'm and, sure and ABC too. Had a yeah, lot of and ABC, well. and I'm sure once those contracts end, Hulu doesn't have enough original programming like Netflix does to stand on its own. No, and and the stuff that's popular, they can just transition over to Star, or if it's you know uh, produced out of another studio, they can always just shift it over to their own streaming platform. Exactly. Yeah, the same thing they did with Doom Patrol. Yeah. Uh, which I am super slight tangent. Uh, I finished the season of Doom Patrol. Okay, but it's not the finale because they never got to film the finale. And oh, so really? Just, yeah, because uh, they were still in the middle of filming when quarantine hit. Oh, uh, and they were they were they were on their last episode. So, and so they they just repositioned the second to last episode with the huge cliffhanger for the finale as the new finale. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I'm like, every character is in a very bad position right now. And I'm like, it, it's the same way in like Titans in season yeah. one, where it just ended with the big bad coming out and all the, and you know, like Robin getting brainwashed. It's yeah. like, that's it. <laughs> Good luck until next year. Okay. Cause I, I haven't watched season two yet. I was very excited to see that it was fewer episodes. I think it was like what, eight or nine instead of 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was going to ask you if it's worth starting to watch now, but maybe <laughs> I shouldn't because I should just wait until we get the resolution. Whatever's going to happen. Episode out, yeah. And then I'll have to pay for HBO max to watch it. So it is, it is very good. I, I do like the, like the slow burn villain they set up for this season. Okay. He's, he's really cool. Okay. All right. Well, it's it's on my list of things to get to, so I'll I'll, I'll include it in my uh, <laughs> my DC universe pre death binge that I'm powering through at the moment. Yeah. Oh, oh, we forgot about the biggest news that I texted you about. There's another streaming platform that just emerged this oh, week. Fucking hell! 
Uh, you texted it is, me about this? I did because it is exactly what we pitched oh, a few months that's before. Right. And yes. it is such, such a wonderful idea. And I'm glad that we thought of it first. But the wonderful man that is Ryan Reynolds opened his own streaming service that only has one film. Uh, oh, it's foolproof. Yes. 2003's foolproof, which I don't know anything about. Exactly. And that's the best part about it. Now we can get the service and watch this movie. I mean, if someone was going to do it, we should have known it would have been Ryan Reynolds. Yes. And it, it's so fun. And what I hope comes from this is I hope that Hugh Jackman starts his own streaming service to rival it. <laughs> but it should be sponsored by Ryan Reynolds's vodka. Oh, yeah. Aviation vodka. Yeah. I mean, how can you not remember this uh, This 2003 90-minute classic action comedy starring Ryan Reynolds, uh, Kristen Booth, Joris Jarsky, and Sean Sullivan? How can you not remember Sean Sullivan? They got Sean Sullivan in that? It's an amazing get. Um, I don't... Th- look, I've heard of most movies, even if I haven't seen them. I don't think I've ever heard of this. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Kevin, Sam, and Rob are founding members of a theoretical group which pulls off heists. Leo, a gangster, blackmails them into pulling off a real million-dollar heist. Now it's up to them to get out alive. Uh, I'm not sure what a theoretical group of thieves is necessarily, but apparently, I'm hoping it's, it's been just. Done a, as a movie. I'm hoping it's just mistyped and it's supposed to be a theatrical group, and it's just a bunch of like <laughs> improvisers who pull off improvised heists, but I'm, now they have to I'm, pull off a real heist. Look, I think that's probably more likely that IMDb has a, a typo, but I also just really want to know now what a theoretical group would be. Like, they just sit there and, like, like ponder and postulate what a heist could be? Well, I mean, it could be, like, a um, like a mastermind group. So my mom is part of this, what, what I call, like, the, the, the supervillain group. Uh-huh. Uh, where it's just, like, a bunch of people who have a lot of money, and they just come around and, like, share their ideas about how to make more money. <laughs> Yeah, it's like an Illuminati sort of thing. It is very much like an Illuminati sort of thing. But yeah. you pay a lot of money to get in, which is probably what you do for the Illuminati. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, that shit ain't free. I mean, if there was anyone on the planet who would be part of a fake Illuminati, it is Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. So this all makes sense. I mean, sense. if anyone was to start their own Illuminati. That's true. <laughs> sponsored by Aviation Vodka. Yeah, I'd, I'd join. Why not? Yeah. I'd yeah. see what's going on. If someone's going to start a cult that would actually join, it'd be Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. So. Because that means Hugh Jackman is going to start a rival cult. Yes. Yes. And I, I want the two of them to vie for my affection. Yes. Just me personally. With just Blake Lively in the corner, just shaking her head. Yeah. I mean, it's look, if she's just dressed in like a fabulous Marlena G-Shirk inspired suit, I'm there for it. So I'm 100% there for it. Uh, all right. Well, should we move on to some static shock here? Let's talk about some static. Let's get all wet and wild over here. All right. Yeah. Our first episode up is uh, Wet and Wild. Um, which is a potential bang baby cure has been created by Dr. Todd. Very great name. Uh, Awkward Maria offers to be a test subject, but the procedure is sabotaged by Hot Streak. I don't know if I would say she offered to be a test subject. I think she was kind of coerced to be a test subject. She's kind She's kind of coerced, kind of volunteers. At the end <laughs> of the day, she basically volunteers for it. But the problem is, is that Hot Streak sabotages the, the cure procedure and Maria's left molecularly unstable. And so Static and Gear are able to stop her from destroying the city. And eventually she's able to finish the procedure and get cured. So obviously this is a huge episode because it introduces a bang baby cure. Mm-hmm. Um, I overall, though, didn't really love this episode but you 
enjoyed it. So I want to know why you enjoyed it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this out right now. I'm going to be very upfront about this. Butch Hartman. <laughs> <laughs> is there is there an episode of Danny Phantom? The one <laughs> episode of H2 Olga. The one episode is this exact plot. Not not the not the Bang Baby Cure plot, but it's her gets more powerful the bigger source of water she gets close to. Jesus and it is, Christ! And it is it is the Crimson Chin and Clef the Boy Chin Wonder trying to stop her from getting to the lake where she will, you know, be able to get to the ocean and be all powerful. That it's... is the the one episode of H2 Olga. There's only one. As, often, as much as I bring her up, there's only one episode she appears in. It is identical <laughs> to what this so episode I, is. You know, we, we've actively tried to avoid slandering Butch Hartman by claiming he just ripped off stuff. We've always tipped it around it. But to, to quote Goldfinger, um, at this point, once is happenstance, twice is coincidence, and third time is enemy action. This has happened far too often now at this point. Butch. Clearly, Butch Hartman <laughs> ripped off Static Shock. Yeah. I I, was... I don't care if he's going to come after us and start throwing Bibles at us. I'm standing by this assessment. You know, as long as he signs one of them, I'll, I'll be fine with That's it. That's fine. Yeah. No, he'll charge you $200 to draw a little That's cartoon true. in it, and then yeah. he'll throw it at you. That, yeah. that is true. Yeah. And I, I know that's only like the C plot of this episode. But I like when they said like we have to stop her from getting to Lake Dakota, I'm like, you're shitting me. <laughs> this can't be what's going on. God, I think there's even I I don't yeah. know if I'm just mixing the two episodes now, but there's that shot where um, Aqua Maria is like a wave, and you see her face in the wave. Yeah, I think that exact shot is done as H2 Olga. Now, hang on, hang on. I do have to say that this episode... Okay, wait. So it premiered in Australia. I'm not talking about the, the Failure of Parents episode. Yeah, it premiered in Australia no- November 8th, 2002, but it premiered in the U.S. in 2003. Okay, but it was produced in 2002. And if I'm getting this right, Wet and Wild came out in 2004. So actually, <laughs> we oh, have it backwards. Shit. This ripped off Butch Hartman. Um, I immediately retract all the statements wow, that I very, me too. Uh, very. You know what I said that I stand by something. I immediately retract it <laughs> within minutes. I I am shocked by this. Yeah. Now it's it's totally possible. Uh, other things were were ripped off by butch hartman but in this case uh no they ripped off fairly odd parents wow i i wonder if um if Dwayne mcduffie and butch hartman were friends they i mean they must have worked on something together maybe being i don't, you know, I don't like know two big names in the industry back in the day Either that or Len Yuli, who wrote this episode of Static Shock, happened to be in Australia in 2002. and was like, oh, hey, we could do this. Um, okay, boy. So that's so funny. Oh, my gosh. My whole world just flipped upside down. I know, right? <laughs> okay, so outside of the painful similarity in plot between these two episodes, you liked this episode. Can I did like expl- this episode. Can you please explain to me why? I like Aquamaria, and I, I really like her new design. 
Okay. Because it feels very like ink predecessor. Sure. Yeah. Which I think is cool. I, I like her. I think they could have like pulled a little more emotion out of her. Um, But, you know, like vert or you know, static using like, hey, like you can see your family again if you take this cure. Yeah. And like really pulling at those strings. And at this point, she's very emotional and isolated. Like her partner, Hot Streak, has just abandoned her. Um <laughs> the one the one line of backstory we got from Hot Streak comes back in this episode. And I, I even wrote, I'm like, oh right, because he doesn't like doctors. That's why he's so against Maria getting the surgery. Oh, is that a thing? Oh, I forgot about right? that. Right? He doesn't like doctors. Remember the one line of backstory we got about Hot Streak? I thought it just because he was super lonely and didn't want to lose his homegirl, as he calls her. No, not girlfriend. Homegirl. Homegirl. Yeah. I mean, it, it's probably a mixture of the two, but <laughs> it came back, Chris. It came back. The Look, one it line. came back. It, it was absolutely intended and not just purely coincidental. Yeah. Um, but, but even what you just talked about, the idea about Aquamaria wanting to be back with her family, like that's barely touched upon. I know. And I, I think it should have been touched upon more. I think a lot of this episode could have been subverted because her like going around and kidnapping these doctors. I think these doctors would be very willing to just do the test again. Yeah. Like, I don't think they're under the idea of like, oh, the scientific method is try it once, didn't work, abandon well, everything, never oh well. do it again. <laughs> uh, leave chaotic failed experiment to uh, destroy the city. I, yeah. Th- my, my problem with this episode is that it's, it should be really, really important. Like it, we're going to have to include this on our short list because it is, like canonically critical it introduces a cure Mm -hmm. but nothing else about this episode is really particularly interesting like and it you feel like they were just grabbing at whatever random things they could to fill out the episode rather than filling out with anything sort of interesting or meaningful like you know there is a whole episode to be made out of akramia and hot streak being like not only partners in crime, but also romantic partners. Like there's a whole like villain focused episode about how that dynamic is really challenging and how like they're both desperate and lonely and looking for companionship and they've kind of picked the wrong people, but they don't have any other options because they're both bang babies. There's a whole thing to be done there. Yeah. And I, I agree with that, but I think you could even play up more of the family aspect there where hot streaks always been a loner. We've known that since episode one. Yeah. But he knows Aquamaria is desperate for companionship because her family has abandoned her. So he's exploiting that by kind of constantly being on the like, if you don't do this for me, I'm going to leave you. And, you know, being that very gaslighty, you know, male presence or familial presence. Yeah. I mean, I I love that he attempts the gaslighter and he can't because he's an idiot. Yeah. He doesn't like doctors, Chris. He doesn't like doctors. <laughs> the most important thing about Hutchie's character <laughs> came back around. But it's like, to me, like that felt shoehorned in to pad out time. Um, lest we forget, this episode opens with uh, Daisy, Virgil, and Richie visiting this musician Candide at a record store just so they could squeeze in a Bernie Rass cameo. I thought Candide was a real person. It's not. No, yeah, I, I I forgot about that because I also forgot 
This is the first time, I think, since season two, we've seen Daisy without Frida. Oh, my God. The universe is breaking. Yeah. That's why they had to cancel the show. It, it couldn't like, be done. But it's like, you know, why why have that scene in there? They have a whole, they, like, they have that scene. They introduce the idea that Daisy's part of the swim team. I think just they can have Aquamia attack a pool. Yeah. Later on, but like they have a whole scene at the swim meet, and you expect like, oh, maybe you know Daisy or someone's gonna get put in danger, but really nothing happens. Like, so I because actually the doctor's daughter is also on the swim team, right? Like, so slight peek behind the curtain here. I actually end up watching this week's episodes twice. I watched them last week, and then we end up having to reschedule our episode the last minute. I watched them again last night, not paying super close attention, to be perfectly honest. But even having watched this episode twice in the span of one week, I have forgotten most of it because most of it is entirely forgettable. I I do think it could have been stronger, but I did I did like it a lot because it felt very similar to what we loved about the old BTOS episodes where it is a villain plot going on that has nothing to do with static that static just has to interject himself into. I mean, I, I, I would agree with that except for the cure element, Mm -hmm. because when you introduce the cure element, now this is something that does affect static even to the point of them realizing that he's necessary for the cure to work like because initially they were like running a low-level current through aquamaria to allow the cure to take into effect and then gear just like takes a glance at it and goes oh no, no no wait actually instead of electrifying the patient which is a terrible thing to do you just have to electrify the compound which i think scientifically makes no sense and all of a sudden it works so because I, I do agree with you. This were just an episode about Aquamaria being separated from her family and like kind of having seemingly from her perspective, no choice, but to partner up with hot streak. The only person who kind of wants to give her the time of day and to be there for her, then it would have been kind of like a throwback BTOS episode. But if you introduce the cure, all of a sudden now static is very, very deeply connected to what's happening in this episode. And that's a huge thing to introduce. And I thought that the rest of the episode around it really let down the cure element. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I was, I, I thinking about it a little bit more. There's nothing about this that specifically connects to Aquamaria. No. And I feel like besides the, you know, water and the aspect where they stole from Patartman. <laughs> <laughs> heavily influenced by, excuse me, heavily, heavily influenced, influenced by Patartman. Um, we would never say that anyone ripped off anything ever and then really really (laughs) staunchly stand behind it Um, we're better than that we're better than that we've learned from our mistakes Um, I feel like this this entire episode could have also been Talon and Ebon yeah totally could have been Uh, or or any meta that had like a physical change because like it's that that similar thing where I feel like there could have been a fight between Aquamaria and hot streak where, you know, she has the argument of like, you can walk around, like you are normal. You mm-hmm. can still walk around. You can still be part of society. You can still blend in. I, yeah. I lost that opportunity. I need this cure. You know, it, it's, the, it's the whole like mystique Magneto situation again. Yeah. Although um, to be fair, hot streak can't blend in because of his hair. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no way and, he's changing and, that and, hairstyle. And, uh, physics defying pants. Exactly. 
his secondary power. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Like, you could have done this exact same plot and had it been anybody else. Um, and I actually have some thoughts on how to fix it, but that's going to have to wait because I would actually make this episode and the next episode, Cameron, wait for it, a two-parter. Oh, shit. I'm on board. <laughs> Immediate take my money. I'm on board. How much do you need to produce this? Uh, but, but before I, into, I get into pitching my two-parter replacement for these... Because I also uh, agree are... the next one should be two parts. Yes. There are a couple little things that I did like about this episode I found amusing. Um, one is when Daisy asks if Virgil and Richie are going to the swim meet. Richard's response is, oh my god, yeah, how could I not go and miss out on 20 girls in swimsuits? I'm like, okay, this is closeted Richie trying really, really hard to prove that he's straight. Yep. Even to the point of bringing binoculars to the swim meet. <laughs> Calm down, Richie. It's fine. You don't have to try so hard. Uh, so like that that little element I did enjoy. And I thought you would appreciate that uh, Richie finally created a more effective way to subdue the villains. He did. And I'm very proud of him. And he tries to use <laughs> the same one again in the next episode. For some reason, he thinks that's going to work on static. He just never learns. He never learns. There was also a weird moment in this, and I don't know if you caught this, um, but they just used the Nighthawks painting, the, the famous uh, painting of that like bar corner. Oh, uh, I don't even know what that is. Uh, uh, Google it, Nighthawks oh, by Edward Har Harper. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Oh, oh, yeah, the 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 people in the uh, the cafe at night. Yeah, because yeah, that's where Hot Streak is, is watching the news report. Uh and I'm like, wow, they just straight up used a famous painting in their film, in their episode. That's awesome. Oh, but I mean, like, but also to be fair, Nighthawks is one of the most frequently parodied. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And homage paintings of all time. Like, I'm, I'm just scrolling through Google image search on it and I see a Simpsons one. I see a mm -hmm. Star Wars one. Um, I, I think there's there's one here of a maybe Banksy did it, but it's Nighthawks. But there's a, a bear throwing lawn chairs at the windows yeah that's an interesting take um yeah but i actually i missed that but i, I should have known oh there's a lego one oh <laughs> i'm trying to see because i know a lot of people do parody paintings of it but i'm trying to see if anyone else has used it in their episodes i mean uh simpsons i'm pretty sure this is actually i, I know yeah i, I think episode. simpsons did well, because Simpsons has done everything at this point. Simpsons so. did it. Simpsons did it. Yeah, the Simpsons, I see that one. Fresh off the boat used it, apparently. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll continue this conversation later. <laughs> we'll do a bonus episode on all of the Nighthawks. I would love to you do a bonus episode on just Nighthawks. Obages <laughs> uh, throughout history. Uh, I don't know. Like, cause I, I do have a lot to say about the next episode. It's so not to rush through this one, but do you have any other thoughts on this guy? Well, how how would you do the two part? Oh, so would your two part be the first part is dealing with Aquamaria's character, and part two be dealing with the cure? So yeah, I I, I will pitch my two parter, but I'm gonna do that after we've talked oh, about okay. kidnapped, <clears throat> kidnapped sure, first. Sure, sure, sure. So all right, so because I know Cameron, you're, you're itching here. You heard the word two parter, and now you can't control yourself. I, so I got I gotta know. <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. Uh, so let's move on to kidnapped. Uh, which sees Edwin Alva, um, we learn that he's recruited down the line, Dr. Karen Roberts to discover Static's secret identity. Um, but since he and Static are now cool, 
Alva fires her. So she uses her like massive network of surveillance to discover Virgil's secret identity and kidnaps Pops in order to blackmail Static into stealing back from Alva her life's work, a machine that can control every electronic device on Earth. And give her a cool like ones and zeros force field. <laughs> yes. It the the effect when she finally puts on her her helmet is like some sort of like weird combination of uh, the Riddler's technology from Batman Forever and then Cerebro. Yeah, I, I, I definitely put Cerebro in here as their visual inspiration. Yeah, it looks just like the Cerebro helmet. Um, but like, okay, so like th- there are there are some cool aspects of this episode. Like, I think it's really interesting the idea of introducing, or like, it's an interesting idea to have Pops learn Virgil's identity. Like, yeah, that's that's a huge moment, and I think they handle that specific element really well like even that initial conversation where pop says you know you can drop the act virgil i figured it out and you can tell that he's really struggling over the course of the episode with how to approach this what's the right thing to do because you know on one hand his son is going out there to actually help people and and make the the city a better place i mean in his own way he's following in pop's footsteps in terms of what he does at the community center Mm -hmm. um you know he's doing what his mom did in terms of trying to you know help the city and be a hero like it's a really like an inspirational thing you could see that pops is proud of virgil for doing that but at the same time he and his best friend are out there you know risking their lives every day and that is a hard thing to condone and i i liked his reaction and i also liked his ultimate logic there of being like you know you got these powers for a reason i can't i'm not going to stop you um i thought that part of it did really well i mean what did you think about the whole pop's secret identity thing i i loved it i think they handled it very well uh i think my my favorite bit my favorite bit of it was the ending button i think was was so probably the funniest end of an episode because as pops is giving his nice speech he says you know we also have to tell sharon now (laughs) and they go and sharon is is throwing a fit over her insurance company now demanding bang baby insurance yeah and her saying like if i just hear bang baby one more time i'm gonna lose my shit (laughs) and pops kind of like glancing at the two of them and she goes okay what do you guys want to say he goes nothing nothing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're right. I think it's the only time I've ever seen Pops shut down. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved that little button. And it, it, it's such a good, like, parent moment of, like, uh, we're, really we're, we're, we're going to save this for another time. Uh, we're just, we're just going to just scoot past this. Like, the, the, the one thing is, I wish, I wish we had more time in the series with Pops knowing. And yeah, we literally have one episode left. Yeah, and I don't, and I, I don't remember in the next episode if he even references knowing. I, so I did watch the finale last week too. I didn't rewatch it this week. Um, he, he, they do play up mostly for comedic effect a little bit of him knowing the the truth, but it's not. There's not a lot there necessarily, but it, mm-hmm. it is reference. It does build off of this. Like these three episodes do build off of each other, um, leading through the finale. But yeah, I, I wanted more time with it yeah like i i wanted it's i also see it's hard to figure out what more to do now okay remind us you being the butch hartman danny phantom expert that you are what happened after jazz found out danny was but what what is danny phantom's 
superhero name that everyone calls him? Ghost uh, Boy? Yeah, I guess Ghost Boy, and then some. Like, a lot of people call him Danny Phantom. But wouldn't they then know that he's Danny Fenton? Because he looks just like him and has almost the exact same name? Nope. Okay, great. Okay, so... Because Danny, Danny is... Phantom is cool and Danny Fenton is not. So what happens when Jazz discovers that her brother, Danny Fenton, is in reality the identical-looking superhero, Danny Phantom? They're not identical. Danny Fenton has black hair and Danny Phantom has white hair. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so Chris? sorry. Uh, uh, wait, actually, she, I, mean, she... got, I, I do have a tangent on that. Um, have you ever heard the theory that uh, the whole story of Danny Phantom is a trans allegory? I have not. Yeah, this was um, pointed out to me recently. I'm pretty sure by Kira, um, friend of the show and former guest. Um, and I actually did like a brief little bit of research on it to see if there's anything there. And there's actually a lot of theories behind it. If you look at um, the design of Danny when he's um, in his like normal, like normal kid mode, actually kind of has more say Fenton um, Phantom mode. Yeah, yeah, there we go. When he's in Fen- when he's Fenton, he has more kind of like feminine like body types a little bit, like narrower shoulders, wider hips. Um, one episode references that when they all go to like a big community pool, like all the guys are not wearing a shirt, including Tucker, but he's wearing like a, a like a white beater over it. And then when he's Danny Phantom, wider shoulders, narrower hips, and like more distinct masculine features. Interesting. No, I've never heard that before. Yeah, I'd never heard that either. And like, oh, I, I didn't see anything that like corroborated that on the parts of the creatives. But uh, I don't know. It's an interesting theory. But anyways, that tangent aside. So what happened <laughs> when Jazz Jazz discovered the, the secret identity? Like, because they played that out for a while, right? It was like a whole season they had at least. I think. Uh, with that oh, idea. she found out pretty. I think she found out in season one. Oh, okay. Um, no, she she joined the team. Okay. Uh, so th- when she finds out, she. Oh, I guess she she finds out before joining the team before they know she knows okay and so there's a couple episodes where she like acts like she doesn't know and gives them a chance to kind of do their thing so like there there'll be a time when i think they're like on a family vacation and the parents run off and there's a ghost around and danny's like trying to find an excuse to get away from jazz and jazz will just be like oh i think i heard a sound over behind this tree i'm gonna go check it out and like giving oh, Danny okay. the chance to like turn turn into Danny Phantom, yeah, to go ghost, yeah. Uh, and so for a while she did that, and then she did tell the others that she knew and she wants to join Team Ghost. And then there was an episode where the first time she's part of the team, where she kind of takes over and tries to be the leader because she thinks, at being the older sister, she thinks she knows how this works, mm-hmm. uh, but in actuality, she's just constantly getting in the way. Because the these three have been doing this ghost hunting business for you know a year now, right? Uh, so it, you know it was them trying to find a balance between them of like here's what you can do, here's how we do it, here's how you can fit into the group. Okay, so I I can see how a similar sort of molds, um, you know, running with the theory that there's a lot of creative collaboration between, <laughs> yeah. between static and butch Hartman, but I can see how they that like shared a wall in, in one of the did, studios yeah. and they just like overheard each other's conversations, you know, maybe Dwayne McDuffie and butch Hartman were like neighbors, you know, and mm-hmm. th- they had a lovely like home improvement style, like Wilson Tim relationship over the fence. And they just like stand there and just throw ideas back and forth. Who knows? Well, cause what was but, the, in, in, when they worked in on Dexter's lab, it was the, 
there were four guys that shared a cubicle and it was Seth MacFarlane, Butch Hartman, Craig McCracken, and um, Tom, the guy who created uh, Kids Next Door. Tom you would, uh, Walter, whatever his name is. Okay, you would know more than I would. The four of them all shared the same mm-hmm. cubicle space. Oh my god, that's and amazing! And I'm like, like, fuck off with that. That's that's not fair. <laughs> Cameron, I feel like if you had one wish, you would wish to be a fly on that well, even if it meant you only got to live for 24 hours. I would wish to be like a PA for them. Would you though? Have you ever been a PA? I've <laughs> like not. Like a proper PA. Yeah. <laughs> but I've been like a proper PA for PA. animation is different. Uh, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But also, this was like almost 20 years ago. I imagine things were probably worse. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I, I could see how they couldn't use a a similar story arc here because obviously like Pops is not going to join the team, right? Right. Like, but I feel like they maybe could have gotten a little bit more runway out of this. Okay, can sure. I can I pitch you how I think this episode should have gone? Because I think it'll yes. lead into what you're thinking for this. Yes. Okay. I think we scrap the former team up episode where where static has to work with hot streak and okay. make this be some sort of like static suicide squad situation okay where uh pops is kidnapped pops who most of the community knows already yeah because he is he is in charge of the community center and static has to work with the other villain bang babies to get him back because Basically, like, hey, this is the one guy that's always stood up for you. He's always yeah. had your back. He's You've always had a chance to talk with him, and he's never judged you for anything you've done. This is the man that supports us, and we, he needs your help right now. I like that. I like that And a lot. I think that could have been such a cool, especially, you know, for your, you know, not Hot Street, because fuck him, not Yvonne, <laughs> but for your Shiv, your Talon, mm-hmm. your Kangor, the ones that we cameoed, uh, Carmen Dillo. Yeah. Um, like, you know, people that, that can still be sympathetic. And like, you're right. This guy, you know, I didn't listen to him. And that's kind of why I'm in this situation. Like, he was the mm-hmm. one that had my back. And like, I owe it to him to go and save him. No, that that would have been a, a cool idea to introduce, actually. Because, yeah, I think that would have been um, something really meaningful to happen here. Because I... Kind of like with Wet and Wilds, you know, you have this really huge element you introduce to the world that Pops discovers the identity, but the rest of the episode around it isn't great. Like, um, so uh, Dr. Roberts like gets pissed off that Alva fires her, and so she creates this was it Omnia or something like that? Like, it's really terrible villain persona. Omnera, whatever. Omnera. Like yeah, and it, it uh, her whole thing doesn't make sense so one of my big issues with this episode before i get into kind of how i would redo it is this episode has two two universe breaking pieces of technology in it (laughs) one of them is a worldwide surveillance system that as she puts it is connected to like every single like camera phone television whatever across the entire world like it is like the ultimate surveillance and manipulation tool to ever be created. And she builds it just so she can discover Static's identity. Now, that same piece of technology could be used to do pretty much anything on the planet. 
you could find out any piece of information you want, blackmail anyone you want. Um, it is a huge thing, and it's skirted past because they somehow were able to one up the stakes and have the, her life's work, instead of being an impossible surveillance network that no one could really build, she creates a d device that allows her to control every electronic device on the planet. Mm -hmm. The only thing more absurd than a worldwide surveillance net. And but it's I'm okay because like, Richie made it. Richie made a counter virus. He made a counter virus. So it's, it's okay. It's, total, it's totally fine. And of course, it fries her brain, so she can't tell anyone that Static's identity is. And it it just really bothered me. The just the the lack of follow through on these ideas, right? It's like that is like I said, it's a universe breaking piece of technology. Like you could build an entire episode around a technology like that hell westworld has built like an entire show around yeah like the, the the power of like surreptitious and ubiquitous surveillance and for them to just like casually introduce it then toss it aside it was just like fucking baffling to me it's like this is a world that has superheroes and all you care about is finding static secret identity you don't want to know maybe oh i don't know batman's secret everyone's identity. secret identity uh, Wonder Woman's Superman's <laughs> to to <laughs> they just pick anyone it. else yeah they they wouldn't believe it. you see him just like he takes his little his little hair curl and he just pushes it back up yeah and she goes who is this guy <gasps> where do you go where did Superman go um, god damn it so so taking a half step back really quick to talk about how you fit in pops to this kind of superhero system. Uh, if we go off this idea that all the villains have been through the community center at one point, you, you basically play it where pops knows the backstory to all the villains now and static, mm -hmm. you know, there's a moment where static kind of like gets aggressive with one of the villains and pops has to step in like, Hey, like she's still a person. Yeah. Like this is the shit that she's dealing with back home. This is why she is like this. Try talking to her. You know, he, he becomes kind of this voice of, read the kind of this overarching voice of reason for static mm -hmm. um no, which I, I think uh saying that out loud it does kind of put static in a worse spot because then a bit. It, he's yeah he, it's not his own sympathy that's stopping him but there is an interesting idea though about pops being someone who's been trying to help the bang babies even though he doesn't have powers the way static does Mm -hmm. and so i actually i kind of want to like i'm gonna i like that idea i want to kind of incorporate into what my original two-parter pitch yeah, yeah. was please, please show so, your two parts yes yeah, so, i'll figure out a way to make it a third part there you go yeah we'll make it a full epic so because there the idea of introducing a cure is huge and yeah. part of the reason i did watch the finale was i want to see how they handled it and they they, they touched on some of these ideas but i think that you could still do something with a lot of this so so the way I would do it is you still have Dr. Todd create a cure, right? Um, but he discovers through like trial and error, and maybe it is like trial and error on Aqua Maria, like have her actually volunteer to undergo this because she does miss her family and she wants to get back to them. So have her volunteer for it. The, the, op the, the thing goes wrong and she's left in this like molecularly damaged state. Right. When, so she, she runs off. Um, then you have, the knowledge of the cure get back to static and to gear. And now they're put in this position of wondering like, how do we feel about this? 
And I think you also have to incorporate then the idea that like jump back again and talk about the cost of being heroes for them, right? Like the fact that, you know, they don't get to hang out Daisy and Frida, that, you know, he's never around to spend time with, with pops or Sharon, that it has a toll on their lives. And also the idea that, you know, being a bang baby for both the heroes and the villains, you can use Aquamaria as the example, takes a toll on their relationships in particular. And so that, you know, that you, though static and gear want to keep being who they are and keep being heroes, there's a price to it. But the flip side, Aquamaria doesn't want to be a bang baby anymore. And so you set up that, you know, that idea that a a cure is a, a curse for some and a blessing for others. And then while Aquamaria is trying to, um, like, figure out to solve out a problem, she's like, she we see that because she's now, like, basically combined with water, she's, like, able to, like, to sneak around and, like, kind of hide and play at sight. So she's spying on Dr. Todd, and she overhears them say that, you know, the only person who might be able to actually make the cure work is static. So then she goes off, and to tr- she basically decides she's going to kidnap static, but while she's there, she realizes who he is and so she decides instead she's going to kidnap pops like maybe static flies off or whatever and the person she can kidnap is pops and then all of a sudden aquamaria has kidnapped pops and is basically blackmailing virgil to force him to make the cure work and i think that puts him in that sort of moral dilemma of like do i make this happen or not like him having to him saving pops potentially also means having to get being static not only because he doesn't know whether pops is going to keep supporting him or not but also because he's literally allowing a cure to happen and so he he runs the possibility of losing everything um in order to help his dad but he obviously has to do it um and then i think you could still i think maybe incorporate your idea about um him needing help to get the bang babies or maybe this even just becomes like I said two-parter, but maybe actually in hindsight, it could easily just be like a one episode thing that has both elements introduced at the same time. Um, and you can still have Aquamaria be like, you know, the the villain they have to stop in the end and Static has to come up with the cure and you still have a lot of the same like background buttons and stuff like that. But I think you needed to give those two elements, the cure and Pops discovering the identity, more dramatic and plot weight and skip a lot of this unnecessary other crap that's thrown in. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, because I also, as I've established, I hate I hate everything about like Omnia's technology, um, Omnia's technology so much that I want to excise completely from these episodes. I think if if you're going that route, and this might be playing a little too much into the finale, I think you have a third party in there. You have the villains that want to turn back. You have the heroes that want to stay, mm-hmm. but you still have that party of the villains that want to stay villains. You have your E-bonds, your hot streaks that like, I now have real power. Why would I ever want to give this up? Yeah. And, and that is the the thrust of the finale. Yeah. Is especially those two is Ebon and, and hot streak. But yeah, I mean, you, you, the thing is like, they're working towards the finale here, you know, pops learning the secret, the cure. You could still have an episode or two that dived into this stuff more and still leave plenty of room. Yeah, to I, I would, I would want like, four more episodes between here and the finale. Okay. Because I want a Sharon wrap up. I I don't know if if she ever learns what's going on, but like maybe pops passes off the community center to her, Mm -hmm. um, have some kind of ending to her story, something with rubber band man, maybe like he, you know, have an episode where he's trying to propose and maybe that's when he learns static as Virgil. I think it's, I think 
if rubber band man knows that's that's a cool way to wrap that up mm-hmm. you know give him some justice for a finale or or sharon won't marry him until he takes the cure that could be interesting that, yeah. that could be that could be super interesting yeah like there is there is so much story to mine out of one of his family members discovering his identity out of a cure existing in the dynamic as it plays out and there's so many supporting characters over the course of the show that are kind of left hanging um and we'll, we'll get into a little bit more next week but also static ends up becoming kind of the only show so far in the dcau that actually gets a proper finale i mean i guess zeta basically <laughs> did too but yeah, we, we we ignore zeta as much as possible like Btos never got a proper finale, nor did the new Batman Adventures. The ending of Superman was kind of more setting, like it was kind of a finale, but it was really more kind of setting up um, a new plot thread that didn't get picked up till much later. Even Batman Beyond, you know, there's like, it's kind of a finale and the idea of like, oh, I'll never be able, here's the reason why I'll never be able to tell Dana my secret, which we eventually learned he does anyways. Yeah. But like, you know, we haven't really had finales and at least this show gives us one. Um, but I think they could do more with it. I agree. Yeah, but we'll, I mean, we'll get to it next week. Um, uh, Otto, is there anything else in this episode that you thought was kind of interesting? Uh, there's one other thing that, that really frustrated me, and it's mm-hmm. when Static and Gear are fighting. Oh, my and, God, And there's, I like, a surveillance thing, so I understand that, like, he can't give any visual clues because we know he can, like, write stuff in electricity. Like, he makes that web at one point. Or he, he like leaves a clue, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think these are two nerds have <laughs> a nerd metaphor to like explain to Richie what's going on. Be like, hey, we have a Skywalker going on right now. Like, yeah, we have a Lois Lane situation. Like, you know, have something where like it's obvious. It's obvious to those two, mm-hmm. but she wouldn't get it. Where Richie, because like he does in the end leave the clue of like you're a worm, you're a worm. Look at the you're a worm. Th- you're such a worm. Yeah, have have something else in there where Richie knows to like pull his punches and Static knows to pull his punches. Yeah, uh, and I I think like calling it like a Lois Lane situation is because like, we've had that joke before, so we know like that is an in joke already between them. Yeah, the damsel in distress. Uh, and the, yeah, I was I was trying to think of like what other nerd references could they use and the other, so i have a skywalker situation a lois lane situation we got a karate kid 2 going on here man you got some deep cuts there were you just <laughs> upset this episode wasn't nerdy enough cameron always i'm always upset i i rewatched scott pilgrim this week for its 10th anniversary and after that i want more nerd references and everything all the time that movie yeah, is I, so good i know i'm gonna cut you off before you spend an hour talking about scott pilgrim uh but no, I, I agree with you. Like, I I totally get why they wanted to have that moment of, like, the two of them fighting, because they haven't really done that yet, and I'm sure it was great for the promos. Like, oh my god, this week on Static Shock, it's Static versus Gear! But it definitely felt weak. Um, and it just, I get it's, like, justified because at the end, Static, like, you know, gives him the clue, the worm clue to know, to tip him off as to what's going on, that, you know, uh, Omnara has sent this virus out into the world that's going to destroy everything. But it didn't, it felt really forced in the moment, and the justification in the end didn't feel like enough to really make the whole thing land. Yeah. Like, you kind of wanted them to actually have a battle over ideology, not over, like, forced circumstances. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. No, I uh, agree. If we have any 
listeners out there that have the skill to write a comic and illustrate a comic <laughs> for us. Uh, we have about three issues yes. we want to fill between these two. Watchtower guys, I know you yeah, have connections. No, yeah, no, as as part of the uh, you know the the legacy comics they do, we'll we'll, ha- we'll do a collaboration. We'll have them do the Static Shock, the missing episodes. Yeah, give us give us real wrap up. I want to. I I have such a soft spot for Talon, and I don't know why, but I feel like she deserves justice. I think you think she deserves justice because we've seen her every episode in the intro get captured by (laughs) Richie's stupid cable system. You just feel like she deserves more than that. She does. She really does, though. I like Talon. And and like Onyx and Puff. Like I feel like Puff is also kind of mean, but she also deserves like some justice. I mean, that was one of the kind of fun things about this episode is as Static is trying to find his dad, he's out there yeah. inter- interrogating all the Bang Babies. So we get cameos from Puff and Onyx, Carmen Dillo, a.k.a. Armadillon. Armadillon, uh, Kangor, Shiv. Yeah, like, I liked that they brought those characters And I think back. that's the only time... Do they do they make an appearance in the finale? Uh, some of them do. Okay. Because yeah. I was going to say, this is our first time seeing a lot of them in their rework. Oh yeah, that's a good point. We, yeah, we haven't seen Shiv in the past two seasons. We haven't seen Kangor since season two. Yeah, what a shame. Those are great characters. I, mean, I know their design doesn't change too much. Yeah, but yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, I I am very excited for us to talk about the finale next week because I I feel like especially the last two seasons of Static, my big frustration has been the potential hasn't always lived up to what I thought it would be um and so i'd be very excited to talk about like the finale and how we feel about how that lands so uh but until then shall we move along to some bat plugs here Let's do some bat plugs all right so cameron what do you got to plug this week i i i believe you really enjoy this movie and it's been long awaited on my list but i finally watched stardust oh i liked it it was fine oh okay i i for some reason, I thought there was a lot more emotional connection for people with Stardust. Because I also thought it was just fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, like, I've had the book on my shelf for years. And I think earlier this year, I finally sat down to read it. And I didn't really like it very much. I think we've talked about this before, that I may have come to the conclusion that I'm maybe not... Neil Gaiman may just not be my kind of author, mm-hmm. sadly. But I thought the book didn't really work for me. And I liked the movie more. It was a little more fun and more swashbuckling. But I, 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 I think... If maybe we had seen it when it came out, we would have had a great appreciation for it. But I think now it just feels kind of fine. I mean, the best thing about it is like the insanely stacked cast of people that all became famous down yeah. the line. Uh, I it it has a very like Princess Bride feel to it, which yeah, I think a lot of people that. connect it. I didn't realize that it's just Wacko's Wish. Wait, is it? Pretty much. I I don't think I've actually ever seen all of Wacko's Wish. Tragically. it's great highly recommend like top 10 christmas movies okay um but yeah i thought i thought it was just fine mm-hmm. uh i was i was a little underwhelmed and then because like a lot of people talk about is like oh it's daredevil fighting superman and i'm like oh shit that's awesome and then you only see henry cavill for like five minutes yeah and it's more just them like pining over the same girl yeah it's not like they really even like getting to fisticuffs or anything uh yeah, there's that. And then I started playing a new game uh, called Fall Guys. Have you heard of that yet? Uh, 
Um, I feel like I've seen something on the internet about it, but I don't know what it's about. It's very fun. Okay. And it, it's a it's a great like group game. And so, do you you have a PS4, don't you? No, I need to get one because I hate my Xbox. Okay. I hate it so much, and I really want to play Spider Man. Oh yeah, I have Spider Man for you. Um, so the idea is it is a obstacle course battle royale. So it's 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 kind of like a wipeout video game with cartoon physics. You're playing this cute little avatar, <clears throat> and you start off with sixty people in your game, mm-hmm. and every kind of obstacle course you get through, they only let in like. 40 people make it through round one, 20 people make it through round two, 15 people make it through round three. And then it gets to last person standing wins. This sounds like the most you thing. It's ever. so cute. Creative. And it's so like, much fun. Actually, Cameron, this makes me think that it's totally possible that Omnara's surveillance technology exists. And someone has used it for the sole purpose of surveying you to figure out what the perfect game for Cameron would be <laughs> and then go and make it. So here, here's the problem with this, though, is I'm so bad at the game. <laughs> <laughs> also, I hate to say, it, Cameron, that also feels like you. Yeah, I, like... <laughs> I, I continuously forget that like while I have this this unnecessary wealth of knowledge on gaming culture and gaming history. I'm a very bad gamer. It, it also feels very on brand that someone would create your perfect game and then you would not be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, but so is it online co-op? It is. Yeah. How's the online co-op element? It's like, that's what actually has made me play fewer video games over the years. I hate playing games online. Like, do they do that aspect? Well, uh i I mean you you can only play it online there is no single player there is no um like private party i would i hope they add that because i would love if i could just play with my like eight nerd friends yeah Uh, i i hate playing games online with strangers it it is nice because it is kind of younger it is kind of a younger game so there's no voice chat uh, um and there's no real interaction between you and the players except the only way to be toxic in the game is you can grab players for two seconds. You, you only have three buttons. You can jump, uh, dive and grab. Um, and there are moments where like one of the games is there's these spinning wheels. Um, and you have to kind of move from wheel to wheel as obstacles come by. Uh, and you'll have people like, holding you on one wheel as you're trying to get to the next one about to fall into like fall into a pit Mm -hmm. and like usually no one is like skilled enough or mean enough to like actually make you drop but it's just like adds that a little bit of pressure and that little bit of frustration of like just like get out of my way uh yeah that does sound really fun but i i i just can't play games online Mm mm-hmm you know, I don't need some 12-year-old calling me gay. They're right. They are right. No, I mean, there, right. there's no voice chat. You, you can't talk to anyone. It doesn't matter, Cameron. <laughs> I, know what they're, I know what they're saying. I know what they're saying. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I enjoy it is there's no voice chat and there's no, like, text chat either. Oh, and thank it, God. It's just, it's just you and the game, baby. <sighs> Old school. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those, those are my plugs. What have you been watching, listening, reading? Uh, so I as I mentioned, have been trying to do a, uh, a, a binge of as much DC universe content as I possibly can. Um, and so, uh, over the last couple months, I have been reading 
all of the Harley Quinn comics on there written by uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. Um, I'm actually reading that for a project that you'll hear a more official announcement about down the line, probably in a few months. Ooh. Yes, a little little tease right there. Um, but uh, essentially it was for research, but also I was wanted to read those comics and I've heard they're really good and I read them and they are really, really good. Like you and I both didn't love Birds of Prey, if I recall. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more okay. than you did. That's true. My reason was uh, that I didn't really like it is like to me that character the, their version of harley didn't feel familiar to me because i mostly know her from the the dcau and then from like the arkham games and a little bit of comics here and there um but like i really know her from the bruce tim paul dini era and what i had neglected to factor in was that you know jimmy and amanda took that character in an entirely different direction when they took over on her, that title with the new 52 and they basically created the version of Harley that we now see everywhere. It's so like the Harley that was in Birds of Prey, the Harley especially that's in the animated series, which we both love. Um, like that version of that character really started with those comics. Um, and they're really fun. Like the nice thing about them is that they are pretty separated from the rest of you know the DC Comics lore. It's not bogged up in the sort of like crazy crossover continuity that say Grant Morrison's run is. <laughs> But, you know, they're, they're, they're fun. They have a lot of energy. They're goofy. They're a little bit meta. Um, you know, they, they do a really nice job establishing her relationship with Poison Ivy. And having read those comics makes me really appreciate the animated series that much more. Because, like, the animated series wouldn't work without the, what happened in these comics. Um, and it makes me want to go back and rewatch Birds of Prey. I think I might like it more now that I understand that you know the the modern harley is so drastically different and so evolved from the the dcau harley that i wasn't giving the stories with her enough credit and they're they're really really fun comics um you know so basically they did uh you know the harley quinn run that started in 2013 Mm -hmm. there's a few like um like side comics like there's uh like a mini series where she and power girl like on this like caper through space um you know and there's another series where she teams up with all bunch of different heroes and villains over the course uh, throughout the the dc universe um and then they also did the first like 30 or so issues on the rebirth titles and it's all basically just one long continuity and they're they're really good highly highly recommend them um and so i'll put in the show notes under plugs uh basically like the the list and more or less the order in which you would want to read those if you felt so inclined uh so i've been reading those but then i also did a very quick catch up on umbrella academy season two Oh, Which you've seen now yeah, at this point, right? I have. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. Like, what did you think? I I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think I enjoyed it as much as season one. Okay. Um, some characters I cared more about than others. I could. I honestly, if this series was just Klaus and Ben, <laughs> yeah. I, I probably would have liked it a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, they, I'm glad they finally gave Ben some really cool stuff to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved Klaus's storyline. I loved, I, I, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest here. I, I liked it a lot just because it took place in Dallas. That's fair. That's uh, not fair. And I was really excited because like, oh my gosh, this is in Dallas. Like I'm going to know all these places. It, it really showed me how little I know about downtown Dallas. Oh, <laughs> Cause I didn't right. recognize, I mean, obviously they didn't film it in Dallas. They filmed it in Vancouver. Yes, yeah, yeah, Vancouver. Oh, it's like I'm not going to recognize any of the places. Uh, but no, like this show has such a unique visual style. 
mm-hmm. that I really, really enjoy. Did they capture the essence of what people from Dallas are like? Uh, it's a little more racist in this show. <laughs> well, it is 1963. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, they don't really show any, like, Dallas people, really. I feel like they, they kind of take civil rights tropes and then, like, gangster tropes. And I don't know any any mafias that exist in Dallas. You don't spend time hanging out with the descendants of Jack Ruby? I don't, unfortunately. Oh, I, I did love camera. how they kind of, like, embedded themselves in every little bit yeah. of, of the, the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, so for people who haven't watched it yet, um, after the ending of season one, they all members of the Umbrella Academy are, are scattered kind of across a, a three-year span in the early 1960s in Dallas. Um, and, you know, they all kind of get embedded in, as Cameron's point, different aspects around the Kennedy assassination. A lot of it kind of hangs around that idea. Um, but, you know, it's, it is super fun. Like, you're right. Like, of course, Klaus starts a cult, mm-hmm. which he, he strongly denies is, in fact, a cult. Um, well, I was, there's, it's a very small scene, but I also just love, like, how he starts the cult is... He has been lift him up, so it looks like he's floating. Oh, yeah. Some people think he has magic powers. It's fantastic. That is so funny. It's it's very Klaus too, isn't it? Like no, like I I it's I I remember really liking season one and having a lot of fun with it. And for me, one of the things I loved most about season one was that it scratched my favorite cinematic film itch which is like really good music tied with really good visuals. Like mm-hmm. the, the soundtrack from season one and it, the pairing of scene to like soundtrack is excellent. You think about season one, like there's that really fun scene of like the cutaway of the house and they're all dancing. Yeah, to, I think we're, um, alone, I think we're alone now. There's the Istanbul, not Constantinople fight in the diner. There's them like running through the bowling alley all done to um, Saturday nights. All right for a fight. Like, there's probably even more that I'm forgetting, but there's so many really memorable moments paired with really great soundtrack choices. And I think the soundtrack in season two is really good. There's a lot of really fun stuff in there. I think maybe it didn't scratch that itch as much. Yeah. For it, me it's to... not as integrated. Yeah. Like I, I, it doesn't have that as I, as I would reference my, my second favorite film, it doesn't have that Edgar Wright, like magic to it that he's so good at. Yeah, but I mean, that being said, if maybe it didn't have those standout musical visual moments as much, I think the storytelling this time around is a little bit better, a little more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't like the season one finale because I it felt like they basically just kind of like Titans. They kind of just opted to not actually have a resolution and just kind of leave on a cliffhanger. But I think the way we see the characters evolve in season two actually makes that first season finale feel more meaningful. Cause it kind of makes sense that they would have run away from their responsibilities in season one. Whereas in season two, they actually kind of address them more head on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that character growth is really, really good. And I liked how they incorporated the, um, the Kennedy stuff in there as well. And uh, no, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it's coming back for another one. Oh but, yeah. Um, I mean, they, they set it up really well for, from what yeah. I know about the comics, this arc hasn't been published yet oh okay i should read the comics at some point yeah because because there's three stories already out of umbrella academy okay um and from what they're setting up 
and from what I've talked to from my friends that have read it, because obviously I haven't. <laughs> um, yeah. It's uh, the third arc. They just completely jumped over. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Like I, I, and I will say without spoiling it specifically that um, I like how they wrapped up season two. It felt like it had yeah. a more distinct closure point and then a nice setup for where it's going to go compared to season one, which is kind of like an abrupt ending. I, I think I, I enjoyed the season so much, maybe just because I have like finale goggles on for how good those last like three minutes were. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I, I, I really liked the finale in this and I liked some of the new characters they, they throw in there too. Um, no, but uh, uh, I highly recommend for me on that one. Go check out Umbrella Academy season two. Yes, I agree. <sighs> All right. Well, does that do it for us? I think we did it. Yeah. We're always so surprised. <laughs> We're at the end. How did that happen? <laughs> uh, but I mean, we'll be back next week with the end of Static Shock. The Our you know season four finale we'll we'll do our season four um shortlist what i'm sure will be a highly contentious season four shortlist <laughs> based on our, our drastically varying opinions on episodes this season um but you know i mean look this is kind of it's kind of sad to say goodbye to static shock but at the same time that means we're about ready to hit justice league which i think you and i well certainly for me it's the show i've been most excited to come back to yeah i so. i'm excited i'm because i i've definitely seen jlu more than justice league Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm excited to, to revisit this one. Yeah, no, very, very excited to keep on moving with our, our next shows. But, you know, given that we do have the finale next week, for those who have seen it, those remember it, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Like we said, it's the first proper DCAU finale. So, you know, write to us uh, beforehand. Let us know what you think. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about it next week. But you can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Yep, yep, uh, yep. You can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yeah, and if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. And if you want to see my face, you can find that at CampDexter underscore Adventures. Well, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. That's it for us this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, bye. A superhero static shock. Woot, woot. A superhero static shock. Woot, woot. <laughs>